Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I think that the Republicans taking both the House and the Senate will have massive repercussions. So I feel the same way, although I do feel like at 22, I probably don't have enough life experience to be the most credible person, aside from the fact that I'm coming up through the context of somebody who's totally disillusioned with bipartisanship because it's all I've really known. And you're speaking to a lot of people on that. So yeah, I mean, I'm shocked, actually, like since I've been speaking out and being more vocal about my own beliefs, the amount of people in my life that I would never know think similarly or have similar suspicions about the system. New Yorkers who pretend that they're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally blue. I'm totally down the line. Like, no, everyone's, everyone secretly has their doubts and has um, a lot more kind of forward party energy than I think people realize. It is my pleasure to welcome to Ford, columnist for the New York Post, co-host of the podcast, The Lost Debate, and fellow political independent to size up election day, Ricky Schlott. Welcome, Ricky. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Excited to have you. So, Ricky, you have a fascinating origin story where you and I were bonding over our love for a book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, by my friend Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. Yes. Uh, And you read this book and it had a profound impact on you. I did. I read it my freshman year of college and I'm 22, so I'm very much a member of Gen Z. Um, And all of their analysis was um, in part, I looked at myself and I said, oh, they're really right. And this is why I feel this way and think this way. And I looked around me at the environment and um, felt I felt a little like an ideological outsider at NYU at my time there. And a lot of that um, kind of illiberalism that I was seeing, they diagnosed in such a concise way without making it a partisan argument at all. I think that they really um, nailed it in just making making it palatable to anybody who's actually concerned about bettering my generation. And so it was a fabulous book. I was lucky enough to cross paths with Greg Lukianoff uh, for an, on a, an article that I wrote a while ago. I interviewed him for the New York Post and that turned into a fellowship at his organization. And now um, I'm actually co-authoring with him the follow-up to The Coddling of the American Mind, wow. The Canceling of the American Mind. And John will be writing our intro. So it's kind of amazing that a, a book that made me kind of wake up from my slumber and become politically interested and active and uh, kind of analyze what's around me is now something that I'm able to do my small part in contributing to the follow-up of. So. Well, you're getting new fans all the time because you are a genuine independent. You have your own perspective and point of view. 
Uh, and you identify as a libertarian, is that right? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm I'm a registered independent, and I definitely would say that I don't necessarily identify with the Libertarian Party, but the ideology definitely is uh, where I kind of find myself. Yeah. Yeah, I see you as a classical liberal uh, mm -hmm. along the lines of the Frank Fukuyama <laughs> <laughs> school of thought. Yeah. Uh, and well. We're looking at an historic election day. I mean, people say every election day is like this most important one, but yeah. I, I feel like this one is uh, a big deal. Uh, and you and I are going to, to let people know what we think is going to happen mm -hmm. on Tuesday. I feel like there was a point in the summer, and I wrote as much, I said that uh, it seemed like the Democrats had this second or third wind. It was in the aftermath of the Dobbs yeah. decision. Uh, and there was a ton of energy and enthusiasm. And now it seems like the energy has flipped for yeah. a number of reasons uh, where I now believe that the Republicans are going to win the House mm -hmm. uh, by some number of seats. Uh, it, it's likely to be, in my mind, in the low double digit range, mm -hmm. which would be seismic. Uh, and a lot of people are trying to figure out whether the Senate also flips. So mm -hmm. let's talk about the House for a second. First, do you agree that it seems like things are trending toward the Republicans in these last days? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's undeniable. And I felt the same thing where I saw following the Dobbs decision, such a renewed um, kind of social political energy versus the economic side that I think we're seeing right now that has um, like we, we only have so much attention to pay, unfortunately, to an issue like that when you're going to the grocery store and your bill is through the roof or you're filling up your, your tank of gas or you're really scraping by to make rent. And I think that the economic realities and the sense that um, the current administration has at least in part exacerbated the inflation situation is something that just keeps hitting home for people, even if something like Dobbs is a is a big abstract social reality. I think it's a little hard to run away from that. And then also the crime optics as well. I, yeah. I, I feel recently there's been a hard shift towards conversation around things that do help the Republicans in the end. Yeah, you live here in New York, right? Yeah. Uh, and so crime is an issue. Uh, Huge issue. Here for sure. Um, I agree with you that inflation... Um, is still the dominant concern for most Americans. I saw one correlation that gas prices going up and the approval rating for the Democratic administration were essentially in perfect inverse lockstep. Yeah. Where when gas prices go up, uh, then people are sad, and, and that makes sense. Um, I don't know if you drive a car nowadays. I don't. I'm a pedestrian now. <laughs> so I, I do drive, and I, I got to say, like I, I think... Uh, uh, every time about the politics of it, anytime I stop, stop and get gas. Um, but I, I now feel like Republicans win the House. Uh, do Would you project the same? Yeah, I think that, um, at least in my sense, from my vantage point, I think that's definitely the case. And I would say, um, even anecdotally, like this is total anecdata, but I, I've been surprised anecdata, by some... Like that. <laughs> is that a new term? That I have to start using it. <laughs> I'm not sure where I plucked that from, but I, I don't think it's an original Rickyism. But um, I've, I've been surprised by just how much issues of crime have swayed my female friends, especially. Interesting. Yeah, as, uh, particularly in New York. I think um, I've been surprised by the fact that that's been um, something that people are acutely aware of. I don't know if that has national implications, but certainly 
Um, even from very progressive friends of mine, I've heard that their political decisions are going to be at least in part informed by the fact that they feel less safe here, especially as young women. So, so let's bring it to New York. You tweeted, hey, it looks like Lee Zeldin might actually be in this thing. Uh, yeah. Could New York turn red? That race has tightened a lot. I have to say it would be uh, shocking if Kathy Hochul were to lose the gubernatorial race here in New York to mm-hmm. Lee Zeldin. Lee Zeldin, for those of you who aren't in New York, he's a Trump endorsee. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, uh, I suppose, a bit of an election denier type. Um, so he, he's not even what you'd consider sort of your run-of-the-mill <laughs> yeah. like New York voter Republican. Yeah. Um, but he now is uh, climbing quickly in the polls with crime as a signature issue. Yeah, I mean, they were. Um, there was a New York Post cover recently, which, I mean, I think he had just scraped past her in one poll, which might not be representative of it by and large. But I think the fact that he's gotten as far as he has, even though to a lot of people other aspects of his platform aren't palatable, goes to show how acute the crime situation is being felt here. Yeah, I yeah. talked to a traditional Democrat who said the same thing that some of your girlfriends are, are saying. Um, he said that he's now a one-issue voter and it's crime, and, and it's because yeah. someone was shot on his block. And he said when mm-hmm. that happens, then at that point, nothing else matters. Uh, yeah. and, and he's been disappointed by the Democratic response to yeah. public safety concerns because there seems like there's uh, something ideologically uh, holding them back, where in his case, and, and he doesn't live in New York, so I, I think this is going to be a national issue, that um, what his local officials were saying um, w- was tying it to bigger issues like poverty, which may or may not be wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not what you want to hear when you're concerned about someone being being shot Absolutely. Uh, uh, on your block. So I think Kathy Hochul still pulls it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Democratic registration advantage in New York is, I think it's nearly two to one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's going to be a nail biter. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I probably agree with you, even though I I think I take heart in the fact that there's actually a competitive race in the first place. Um, I'm not a huge fan of either option, but I think on the, on the crime front, it's good to see that there is a referendum on the status quo here. I mean, there've just been like egregious cases like Alvin Bragg's office not going after the um, but or arresting the bodega guy who was clearly in self-defense who ended up having his wounds get infected in Rikers. I don't know if you followed that story, but like the optics of um, like an ideological response to crime like you're talking about, I think having a strong referendum on that is a healthy thing, Um, even if it means that that Hochul does still win. I think that it's, I think it, it just puts a fire under some people's butts right now to make a change. And I think it's very, very necessary from personal experience living here for sure. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing, you don't get to have your say, 
That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. I think that there's definitely going to be a wake-up call. Uh, I predict there's going to be a Republican upset somewhere mm-hmm. in the country where uh, a race that you would not expect. Yeah. Uh, I was just seeing today that in Washington State, a state that Biden won by uh, you know 15 to 20 points or something like that, they actually are putting money in. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these races, you can tell what's going on based upon uh, the money trail, which brings me to the U.S. Senate races where most of the attention is. So anyone who keeps up with me knows that I'm super into the Evan McMullen versus Mike Lee race mm-hmm. in, in Utah. Are you uh, uh, excited about that race or is that not something you've been um, I've been following the Fetterman one a little bit more recently. But one general question that I do have for you that I would really like Please. to get an answer to is how do you feel about this trend that I've seen of more and more candidates either refusing to debate or just declining debates or at least debating less than they normally would have in the past. Well, this is definitely relevant for Arizona. John Fetterman and, yeah. <laughs> and the Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is a, a great question. So this is a depressing, but I think debates are uh, fading out more and more in part because of the polarization and the ideological yeah. nature and in large part because there's typically someone who's going to benefit from the debate, the underdog, and someone who's potentially going to lose from the debate, the favorite. Mm-hmm. I've now been in seven presidential debates and four mayoral debates, so, yeah. <laughs> so I've done a lot of these things. And most debates don't change anything that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you tend to see it through your own partisan lens and your your person performs well in your own mind. Um, so debates are pivotal only when there are outliers, but I think we may have just seen one of those outliers in the John Fetterman, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Oz debate. And my feeling after that debate was they should not have let him debate. Yeah. And do you feel that that means that that makes someone unfit for office? Uh, I So th- what, what's interesting is that these debates are in many ways an anachronism to a time when you would have folks actually stand next to each other and evaluate them mm-hmm. in various ways. And then it became this TV ritual. Um, I do think that there should be some expectation. And in John Fetterman's case, it's a legitimate health inquiry Mm -hmm. where if you believe that a U.S. senator might have to uh, communicate and synthesize and and, uh, do a lot of intellectual work, then if the person is not necessarily going to be able to uh, demonstrate those capacities in a televised hour. It's like, is that relevant? Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who are watching that thinking like, I don't care. This guy is on my team. Uh, you know, his policies are going to align with mine. Um, though 
the reverse is true when you talk about Herschel Walker, where mm-hmm. that they would see someone like Herschel Walker, and you know they're different um, people and different sets of issues. It makes me sad when candidates duck debates. Mm-hmm. Um, it, when another candidate, typically the underdog, <laughs> yeah. jumps up and down and is like, "This person has to debate me." I'm very sympathetic, mm-hmm. um, and, and it does worry me that I think you're going to see more candidates duck them. Uh, it, it's one of the symptoms of just how uh, ossified and dysfunctional our system is. Yeah. Where people, you think like, look, I've got these voters, there are only two teams. If I just hang on to my voters, I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so why risk it? I, I do not like the uh, gubernatorial uh, candidate in Arizona ducking mm-hmm. that debate. Like, that, yeah, that, that based seems on the like, fact that her ideas are dangerous and so they shouldn't be platformed, which to me feels like the perfect opportunity to invite those ideas into a debate and then slap them down if they're so egregious. Yeah. So for people who don't know, Arizona is more or less ground zero for uh, the election denier takeover of the Mm -hmm. Republican Party in that state. I'm heading Mm -hmm. to Arizona in a couple of weeks um, in part for this reason. We've endorsed Mark Kelly in uh, the Senate race there, but we have not endorsed in the gubernatorial race. And the challenger is a woman named Carrie Lake, yeah. who's a TV personality, seems mm-hmm. very telegenic, uh, is an election denier. Um, and uh, it seems like the Democratic candidate, um, whose name escapes me, what's Katie her name? Hobbs, I think, right? Katie Hobbs, I think that is I right. I think so. Um, Katie Hobbs says, look, I'm not going to, to debate an election denier. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a justifiable rationale, you know, like in, in my mind, it's not a good look. Um, that race is going to go down to the wire. Um, uh, my feeling is that one reason why she might not want to debate Carrie Lake is that Carrie Lake is probably a very talented performer Yeah. as a TV, TV personality. Host. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I've looked at the statistics that say that, that to your point, debates don't tend to sway people too much. Um, But I think this will be an interesting round to kind of see how it plays out, because I would imagine that my little prediction theory here is that the lack of debate might have a much larger impact on the vote in the end than a debate would have. Like, I think the optics of saying like, no, I'm just not going to do it or no, I don't feel like I owe it to voters might end up harming people in the end. I've looked at the, the statistics of like the typical um, Senate race, it used to be like 17 debates um, in like the top five races or something like that. And it's like all the way down to seven just over the past decade or something roughly around there. And I think that's a, a, tr- a troubling trend if we see our opponents as so far beyond the pale that we can't even have a conversation in the same language or even about different issues if the election denying problem is the the underlying take. Yeah, if, if that's the, the, I mean, that was the rationale that Katie Hobbs yeah. expressed. And you're probably right that it's um, not going to serve her candidacy well. I do think that incumbent members of Congress get away with this all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, because their upstart opponents might not have the energy and traction yeah. to take advantage of it. And also one of the things I'm seeing consistently is that these debates will exclude uh, "Quote unquote uh, minor party candidates or a third party, where you mm-hmm. have the Democrat and the Republican, and then let's say a Green or a Libertarian. Yeah. Like sometimes the a Libertarian gets in. Cap. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. And uh, big picture, the Republicans um, are saying they're going to boycott the presidential debates in 24. I mean, it's a long time from now. 
but the, they're they're saying, look, it's biased against us. Uh, you know, we're we're not going to to show up. Yeah. Um. So I, I hope debates go the other direction, where there are more of them and they're more inclusive, and you have mm-hmm. more people. But yeah. the the trend is heading the other way. Yeah, it's really disheartening because I think, especially for a lot of young people, like the statistics are incredible. How much? How many of us are independents and actually are? open to hearing different ideas and don't necessarily just ascribe to one belief. Like there's um, a statistic that like the average uh, Gen Zer is twice as likely than the general electorate to be a registered independent. Nice. So, yeah. Let's go young people. <laughs> Maybe you can still save us. And so I think a, a forum like a debate is actually really informative for people who haven't just decided I'm going to check all the boxes all the way down. Um, so I think it's really disappointing. I hope that um, candidates that are just totally walking away from it, just thinking that they have things, taking can take things for granted, at least get a little bit of a ding from it um, in terms of their voter turnout. Because I think that's like the very least that you owe a voter is I can stand up and express my beliefs and, and stand up to the type of opposition that I will be seeing in office, even if I don't like their views or I find them unpalatable or I fundamentally disagree with them. So I found it to be disappointing, but um, I think there's more and more independent voters that want to be won over in a debate. I mean, even my dad is 85, which I was a very late addition to the family. And he, after, I guess since 1955, he registered as a Republican. And he just told me the other day, oh, I re-registered as an independent. Oh, good job. Wow. (laughs) So I think there's a whole swath of people who want to hear different ideas actually play out. Yeah. Anyone who follows me and forward knows that I think the answer is more democracy, not less. And you're seeing it diminish before our eyes in various ways. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So back to this Fetterman-Oz race. Yeah. Uh, I thought that John Fetterman was going to win um, that race until recently, and now I think Oz is going to squeak it out. And if, Yeah, I agree. And it, it, so if Dr. Oz wins Pennsylvania... Uh, then the odds of the Republicans winning the Senate shoot up mm-hmm. because that was the Democrats' best chance at adding a seat. Uh, my projection for the U.S. Senate is <laughs> is that the Republicans 
narrowly win the, the Senate in part because uh, Oz beats Fetterman and I think Laxalt uh, beats Cortez uh, Masto in Nevada, which makes mm. me, I, you know, it's, I mean, I, I don't know all of these people. I know some of them. Um, yeah. it, it, it's interesting, this role, because as someone who's now trying to revamp the system itself, you know, like I don't want to be um, uh, piling in on, on one side or the other. And at this point, we've endorsed Republicans, independents and Democrats yeah. um, uh, alike. But um, I, I think that the Republicans taking both the House and the Senate will have massive repercussions yeah, I, I, so I feel the same way, although I do feel like at 22, I probably don't have enough life experience to be the most credible person, aside from the fact that I'm coming up through the context of somebody who's totally disillusioned with bipartisanship because it's all I've really known. And you're speaking but, to a lot of people on that, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked, actually, like since I've been speaking out and being more vocal about my own beliefs, the amount of people in my life that I would never know think similarly or have similar suspicions about the system that like I'm the human repository for all the like New Yorkers who pretend that they're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally blue. I'm totally down the line. Like, no, everyone's, everyone secretly has their doubts and has, um, a lot more kind of forward party energy than I think people realize. Yeah. I um, love it. And, and you're activating a lot of that energy too. It takes someone who's independent and principled and intellectually you. courageous uh, like yourself, because I know, you know, like it's not easy to raise your hand and say, Hey guys, like, I'm not sure this stuff is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, shockingly, it's been pretty well received by and large, but I would say I, in my limited realm of expertise here that I feel the same way that I think that there will be, um, both the house and Senate going red. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm there too. Uh, my, my big prediction that might change things somewhat is I think Evan McMullen pulls it out in Utah. And so mm -hmm. I'm, I was just in Utah mm -hmm. campaigning for Evan. Uh, are you into this race? I haven't been specifically, no. Oh, right. So, so I, I have to, um, to, to get excited about it because okay, to me it's like the it. most important Senate race in the, in the country. So check okay. it out. Evan McMullen goes to the Middle East and is a CIA op operative for 11 years mm -hmm. uh, after 9-11, so 2001 okay. to 2012. Comes back, uh, goes to business school, uh, and then is stunned by the rise of Trump in 2016, mm -hmm. says this is uncool. And so he runs as essentially a Republican protest candidate in 2016 and gets 21% of the vote in Utah, okay. where he's from. He's a Mormon. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and his now opponent, Mike Lee, voted for Evan McMullen in 2016 mm -hmm. <laughs> because at the time he wasn't that into Trump. Yeah. Fast forward six years, Evan McMullen's running for Senate uh, and the Democrats of Utah decided not to run a candidate Okay. Um, because they knew that if they ran a candidate, they would lose to Mike Lee in a state that Trump won by 21 points. Mike mm -hmm. Lee was just going to coast. So they get out of the way. Evan McMullen uh, now is pulling neck and neck with Mike Lee and if he wins, he's saying that he will not caucus with either party. Mm. So he'd be a genuine, independent U.S. senator I who might it. actually be the difference maker between uh, one one party or another being able to pass everything or needing his vote mm. because he could be the mansion on the other side. Got it. Uh, and plus, he's a great guy. He's a principal leader. He actually um, co-founded one of the organizations that merged with the forward party this mm. summer so okay. his people and forward have like a ton of overlap uh -huh. um so th this could be a demonstration of the fact that 
an independent can build a coalition mm-hmm. of Democrats, independents, and Republicans to defeat, uh, in this case, uh, Mike Lee is also a Trump endorsed, Ted mm-hmm. Cruz endorsed, like that, yep. that type of character. Um, in a state that's reliably red. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so actually my funny little piece of context that I have here is, I don't know if you've seen what Tucker Carlson has to say about him. Oh, yeah, he called it... He basically, like, the classic, like, spoiler effect uh, argument or... He is he's secretly a Democrat in an independent chief's clothing, which to me, I was like totally unconvinced by. I'm like, okay, like somebody somebody doesn't fit cleanly and is therefore threatening to a Duopoly candidate. And so why I love him. therefore why I love pull, him, pull him so down. Yeah. Um I think he was uh Tucker had photoshopped his face on a McMuffin and that was the the kind of best burn he could come up with. Um but I'd be really interested to see if that if that happens. I mean, I think that there needs to be more mansion type characters in in politics because not necessarily his own personal viewpoints, but the idea that there could be someone who's actually holding out of something some enormous package doesn't actually serve their their constituents should be something that happens more and more in in our politics. It's frightening to me to see like Manchin become the darling of the right and um, Liz Cheney become the darling of the left just because they're somebody who's standing on a different a different area of just like one issue and then all of a sudden they're they're loved by the other party. Like, why don't we just have more nuanced, interesting, different people? Well, you know, one, one of the funny things that happened after I left the Democratic Party uh, is that I got requests to be on Fox uh, every day for mm. weeks afterwards because uh, anything that kind of beats up one side. They're like, oh, come yeah. here. And, and, <laughs> and then I was like, that's yeah. not why I'm doing this. I'm trying to change the system. And and so I frankly declined, uh, you know, virtually all of those <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, re- requests uh, because we're, we're trying to build something um, new and exciting yeah. here that that provides a home for folks who are genuinely not totally. spoken for uh, on yeah. either side. One of the things that people don't realize to the extent that they perhaps should is that the 2024 Senate landscape is very, very dramatically tilted for Republicans and against Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now that this election uh, is Democrat, the Democrats have a legitimate chance to, to hold. One thing we haven't talked about is the Georgia race. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, what I think is going to happen in Georgia is that, uh, and that one's Reverend Warnock versus Herschel Walker. Yeah. I think it goes to a runoff mm-hmm. um, because there's a libertarian who's getting 4% of the vote there and you mm-hmm. need 50% to win outright. So believe it or not, everyone, and some of you remember this from two years ago, uh, I think that the uh, politicos of the world are going to descend on Georgia for another month because the runoff would take place on December 6th, I, I okay. believe, four weeks after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you can imagine, like, you know, after all of this energy and election day, everyone's going to run to Georgia and be like, hey, guys, it's Warnock one on one versus Walker. Yeah, um, that would be fascinating to see. Yeah, um, that there that race is I think Warnock pulls it off when it's just the, the two of them. Um, yeah. I, I think the entire thing is very close, but I think it goes to a runoff. Yeah, I think, I mean, Herschel Walker has just been like one terrible headline after the next for his race. And I mean, even just more broadly, the rise of the kind of celebrity candidate to me is I just don't totally love even Dr. Dr. Oz is also like I just what is going on? I feel like just a decade ago, it would be unimaginable to have so many of these like kind of pop culture figures. I mean, 
I, to dream that Donald Trump would have been our president would have been unimaginable. Like so, yeah, quite literally, I think we're living in one now. But um, so, what, yeah. what, one of the things I think sometimes, Ricky, is like, what would be the most uh, effed up plot line, and be like, that's probably what happens. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so, and then also in Georgia, one thing that I found interesting that I haven't really heard a um, succinct argument for is that Stacey Abrams seems to be struggling in the black community, specifically with black men, which I think surprised a lot of people in terms of polling numbers. Um, I'd be interested to see how that actually pans out. At yeah, we should talk about the gubernatorial races. So uh, it looks like Stacey is going to fall short to Kemp. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it also seems like she's running behind Warnock. Like War yeah. Warnock is, and you could also invert that and say Walker is running behind Kemp, which is accurate. Kemp is yeah. a relatively popular, established um, governor, uh, the, the Stacey Abrams campaign, it, it's had a different energy than her past campaign where it seemed like everyone was in love with her and mm -hmm. she just fell short. I mean, the parallel there is actually in my mind, Beto O'Rourke in Texas. Yeah. Um, so full disclosure, I'm friends with Beto, mm -hmm. um, from the presidential, like I, I like him. Um, but I, I think that, that they're both, uh, running again, in their their states uh and i i think stacy's going to perform worse this time than she did last time um I, I wasn't aware of her not getting that sort of support from black men but when you say it out loud uh, it doesn't shock me yeah it's interesting though just the i think it was a surprise to most people watching the polls there that that was where the wind was kind of coming out of her sails do you have a sense of why she might be losing momentum over like her darling status in the past you know, I, I, well, I think one of the, the problems that besets folks in a particular lane um, is, is that as you are around for a longer period of time, you start uh, feeling like a bit more of like an establishment figure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so um, that there, there are folks then who just feel uh, a little bit less energized. And I, I don't think that's a healthy thing necessarily because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like you can't always be that. <laughs> new exciting yeah. <laughs> face. That's true. Um, but I, I, and and there have been some flubs or missteps in in that campaign mm -hmm. um, that I think have been used against her. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So um, in terms of races around the country, are there any specific forward endorsed people that you're keeping an eye on? Well, you'll be happy to know that if someone wants to know about all the forward endorsements, you can go to forwardparty.com and also take a look at last week's episode where <laughs> like all we did is talk forward. Mm -hmm. I just talked about Evan again because uh, to me that's the most exciting, interesting 
uh, Senate race. But we, we have endorsed dozens of candidates. Uh, we're getting behind them. Um, I'm going to be campaigning for some of them in the days leading up to Election Day uh, in Nevada. Um, mm-hmm. The other major one um, is this ballot initiative in Nevada that would shift their voting process to nonpartisan primaries and ranked choice voting. Mm-hmm. Final five. You must be a Final Five fan, I'm guessing. Yeah, I am. I actually, so I've literally just, I was telling you before, I just submitted an op-ed for um, the New York Post uh, advocating for open primaries and ranked choice voting. Yeah, way to go, Ricky. (laughs) Normalize that with the uh, older Republican community here. But um, I think even, I I don't, I haven't really heard a lot of good, solid resistance to that uh, proposal. I think it's mostly a lack of people understanding the reason behind it. And so... Um, I wrote that op-ed specifically with my own experience of just having moved my voter registration to New York from New Jersey, where I was uh, just living with my parents before I moved here fully, Um, and realizing that, like, oh, I just lost my total voice as an independent here in terms of the the primary elections that actually determine almost all of our local politics. And so um, I use that as a lens because I just I see that there's a huge lack of awareness around this issue. And if people actually listen to the arguments of how this could moderate things and um, probably move us better to a better mean of the political uh, opinions in a certain area. I mean, I think bringing awareness to that as much as possible is a great thing. So, well, it's on the ballot in Nevada. And I agree with you if voters uh, understand it. They're like, interesting. I can vote for anyone I want. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, you can. Uh, and I've heard a lot of independents get very upset about the fact that their tax dollars are financing elections that they may not be able to participate in meaningfully because they're not registered for one party or another. Yeah. I mean, pretty much the Democratic primary is what decides almost everything that happens in New York City. And here I am just sitting on the sidelines like, well, okay, sure. (laughs) Um, So I think bringing as much awareness to that fact as possible is a good thing. I also think there's a lot of people on the right who would be amenable to things like that, especially as there's the fracture of the kind of MAGA Republicans and a huge swath of people who just don't identify with that, who might like to see rather than the most extreme polarized voters showing up at the primaries to vote for a MAGA candidate, something that's actually closer to the average of their viewpoints. Thank goodness. Uh, So ranked choice voting was used to choose Glenn Youngkin for Mm -hmm. uh, the Virginia uh, governor race. And so there, there are moderate Republicans who are like, look guys, this just helps us elect people who are going to win yeah. in, in the general as opposed to someone who's more of a Sarah Palin-esque figure who yeah. ends up failing in this process. Yeah, totally. Also, the Youngkin race reminds me that it's interesting how um, how hot education was as a topic for that totally. that cycle. And it's just totally shifted, I think. To, uh, I mean, I think that's just kind of on the back burner with inflation, with crime, with um, with abortion. I'm, it's just totally inverted. Those education stats break my heart. Um, that where American kids reading and math scores plummeted. It's awful. And I think it's frustrating for a lot of people who were kind of ringing the alarm bells pretty early on and saying like these kids are the least at risk medical group here. And we also had data very early on that showed that kids don't transmit it to adults as readily as um, adults do to each other. And I think it's for a lot of people who've been suspicious of the school closure policies, Um, it's super frustrating to see this kind of like quiet, gradual admission that like, yeah, we absolutely pulled the rug out from under the feet of an entire generation of Of kids. kids. And there's a real lack of accountability and honesty. Uh, If there's some 
message I'd love for Forward to end up representing is just a reliance upon facts. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, Democrats right now continuously denigrate Republicans as like election deniers or people who deny certain facts. Um, but there have been facts that Democrats have been uh, very happy to ignore or sweep under the rug that didn't yeah. fit a particular uh, narrative and, and school closures is probably in my mind top of that list where look like we had data from other countries other environments yeah. the risks of having kids in school um, in terms of um, getting sick were very very low but mm -hmm. the risks of them falling behind in their education or their emotional development were sky high and I it's say this shocking. as a parent you yeah. know I, I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and uh, like we were living a version of it and so we were like yeah. hey guys you know, I mean, one of my ideas at the time was like, at a minimum, during the pleasant days of the fall and the spring, why don't we just let the kids have school outside? You know, like they, they yeah. can do it old school with yeah. a teacher. That image actually made me kind of happy. Mm -hmm. um, but there was zero effort in that direction. Yeah, it was really frustrating to watch that happen. And even um, as a very old kid during the pandemic and a college student at the time, I've seen um, a lot of my friends are still struggling with what happens when the two years that you're supposed to be networking with professors or going to college fairs and uh, figuring out what you want to do and doing an actual internship and realizing like, oh, I'm glad that I'm not going into that field now. That was a good experience. Like all the way up through developmental phases, I think it's most acute the younger you are. But like for an entire generation of people where they're going to have lifelong impacts yeah. from from yeah. this. And I think it's I mean, it's staggering even to have seen the fact that there were private schools open while public schools across the street that were closed happened. was just such an injustice. I think it'll exacerbate going down forward, um, like into the future, it'll exacerbate in inequalities in a way that I don't even think we can imagine right now in terms of the learning loss and the developmental loss. There were Democrats that raised their hands and say, hey, look, uh, they're going to be disadvantaged kids who get who suffer the most from this and just completely ignored yeah i mean it's it's really i think it's shocking i don't know that do you feel that that's having still an effect on this election cycle i i think it is in the sense that there right now is this uh pervasive uh skepticism and mistrust of institutions yeah and i i think that's going to end up feeding uh, the Republicans, frankly, though, if you're watching this and you still have chance to a chance to vote or listening, don't take it as like, hey, this is all baked. Like you can get out and vote and maybe you can change everything me and Ricky are saying. <laughs> <laughs>
a successful ticket or potentially a viable one? Uh, I'm not sure who's going to be excited for a Joe Manchin yeah. candidacy because there are a lot of Democrats who aren't fans. I'm not sure if traditional Republicans are going to be fans. Yeah. Um, there's. I can't imagine that they would be. It would depend on who the opposite ticket is, though. I mean, if you had another like MAGA election type. So I think it's going to be Trump versus Biden. And then there's talk Do about you? Manchin running on a unity ticket. Um, you think Biden's going to pull it off for the next go round? When you say pull it off, what do you mean? Like, I, I mean, I think there's a good chance that he says I, I'm not ready for a whole nother four years. I don't know. I, do, I don't know if I, I feel like he's got the mental acuity to go through that many more years into the future. Um, so one thing that uh, we're seeing is that the midterms will affect Joe's uh, stance and attitude mm -hmm. toward running again. Yeah. But right now he's planning on running again. And he's planning on running again in part because it seems like Trump's coming up the other side. And Joe feels like it's got his God-given responsibility to defeat Trump. He's done it once. Mm. He's not sure who else can do it. Uh, and so he's going to... I'm not sure to, that he can do it. I don't know. Like, I just... I, the optics of another Biden and Trump election just really is disheartening to me. Like, I would... I, the idea of, like, a third election where I think that almost everyone is saying, I don't totally love who I'm voting for, but I'm voting for them. Oh, I don't know. So you think DeSantis, there's no way that he's he's... Uh, taking over Trump's spot here? I, I think if Trump runs, he wins. I think Trump has 50%. So the Republican field uh, looks like, here are some of the folks that I, I think are running. Chris Christie runs, Larry Hogan runs, Mike Pompeo runs, Mike Pence runs, um, Trump runs. Um, and then uh, there'll be a couple of others. Uh, and then I, I think Trump gets his 40 to 50% and then everyone else splits the other 50% and he ends up rolling. The big question mark is DeSantis, but if you're DeSantis, you sit it out, you're the heir apparent next cycle. And if you yeah. go in, then it's like a death match between um, him and, and Trump did make DeSantis. I mean, that is mm -hmm. like accurate. So uh, I, I think Trump winds up the Republican nominee and then Joe feels like he has to run. Mm. And I, I said on CNN the other day that if Joe runs, then the Democrats will clear the field and not let anyone run against him. And then if someone from outside of the Democratic establishment says, I'm going to run against him, and I suggested Nina Turner as a possibility, because Nina, it's like, whatever, she doesn't care what the Democrats <laughs> <laughs> say, yeah. that the DNC would quietly just uh, like short-circuit the process, because mm -hmm. the last thing they'd want is 81-year-old Joe Biden debating Nina Turner five times, yeah. um, or Marianne Williamson, and yeah. then... Um, Paul Begala was like, they, 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 I was like, how are they going to do that? They can't do that. And I was like, well, I guess we'll, we'll find out together. But like, I can't imagine that Democrats would have a robust process if Joe's going to run and Trump's coming up the other side. Yeah. Um, so th this is the way I see it shaking out right now, but it, it could change. If Joe doesn't run, then you're going to see uh, a dog pile of Democratic candidates pile in. Yeah. And, which it sounds like that's what you think is going to happen. That's what I mean. I would just hope for a new dog pile on both sides, but it might be a little um, idealistic. But I don't know. I just I I can't imagine, especially looking at the approval ratings of younger people with Biden, which um, like he tanked like 20 percent with Gen Z in terms of how excited we are about him going into the presidency and where we are now. And I think I don't know. I think there's like such a lack of youth excitement about about Joe. I don't know. I, I don't know if he can muster people, especially a whole new generation of voters, to be super excited about him. I think it's like a, like a well, it's better than the other option kind of 
person. But to but. your point, 58% of Americans would not be excited about either Trump or Biden, which leaves an opening a mile wide Yeah. Um, for a unity ticket or something along yeah. those lines, which is some of what's fueling the, the thought of a Joe Manchin yeah. plus, let's say, Liz Cheney run. Yeah. Like that, that's... That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so my argument is that, look, um, uh, uh, you need an organic process that ends up uh, including people and feels genuinely grassroots and, and democratic. Yeah. Um, and then you could get energy around different types of people, just like a different flavor of um, establishment mm -hmm. uh, is not necessarily what a lot of uh, folks are looking for. Absolutely. Um, but you should know that some of these things are, are probably coming down the pike um, from what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, I've heard the same, but I wouldn't be surprised if something flips between now and then. I'm not sure. He's had so many bad, like, news cycles and headlines and blunders that I don't know what's going to come down between now and 24. But um, I don't know. But if, if, if that means clearing the, clearing the space for an actual formidable um, nonpartisan candidate, I'm, I'll be excited about that. I'll look forward to seeing it. Well, you know, I do have those conversations. So there you have it about election day 2022. Get out and vote. Make your voice heard. If you still have the chance yeah. to support candidates under the sun. I'm obviously an Evan McMullen fan. I'm a Final Five voting in Nevada fan, but just find people that, that are worth supporting. Uh, and we'll see if we can maybe surprise some people in, yeah. in some way. You might even surprise me uh, and, and Ricky because you've heard what we think is going to happen. And, uh, you know, may, maybe we'll, we'll end up uh, all Putting wrong. our feet in the, our mouths right now. <laughs> <laughs> or, or in a way, because it, it's funny, one of the things I'm saying is like, look, there are things I want to happen and things I think will happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so some of the yeah. things I've, I've described today, like uh, th this is what I, I think will happen, but I, you know, I'd be happy to be wrong. Yeah. I, I'd be happy to be surprised in some places. I think that's what a healthy democracy does is, you know, actually once in a while there's the surprise candidate that no one would ever really expected pull through because that's the will of the voter. And I think, um, there've been too many that have been in the bag. So I'd be happy to be wrong on, on predictions. For oh, sure. So I, I, I think we are going to be surprised somewhere in the landscape where, uh, an underdog is going to pull out an upset. And I think yeah. that underdog is likely to be, um, like a Lee Zeldin type Republican where yeah. people are like, ah, oh, you're not going to win in a blue state. And then a lot of voters is quietly filed in and, yeah. and, and voted I don't know. It wouldn't be, Totally floored if Zeldin pulls it off, but yeah, we'll no, it's. I mean, at this point, you know, like that, like I, I, I expect that there's going to be some, uh, some result that people will like will look at and say like, wow, that's nearly unprecedented. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's we'll recoup and see who it yeah, was. Yeah, we'll bring you back. <laughs> we'll see how we did. But again, make your voice heard. Get out and support candidates. If you want to see the candidates that we're backing at Forward, go to forwardparty.com/endorsements. Ricky, thank you so much. Where can people catch up with you? Thank you. Um, so I guess the best place would be at Twitter, just Ricky Schlott's my handle, and kind of aggregate all my different stuff there. And um, yeah, and when the book comes out in September, um, it'll all be on my Twitter page. So, Well, yeah. Ricky, thank you for being a role model and voice for the next generation. Uh, appreciate the, the heck out of you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thanks for inspiring me to do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm... I'm just benefiting from it like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs>